morning, church. How you guys doing? You guys doing all right? Come on now. Don't be shy. It's good to see all of you. Summer has returned and fall has fell and we want fall back. Anybody say amen to that? No. Okay, I'm alone and I like fall. So thank you. I got, I got somebody on the front row that loves fall just like I do. Thank you very much. Hey, we're in the third week of our series called Christ Alone. You guys ready to hear God's word? Yes, all right. Uh, Third week of Christ Alone. Here's what we've been talking about. Let me give you a review. Uh, Christ Alone is our series uh, diving in pretty deep to Romans chapter 8. Romans is sort of the epicenter of theology. Romans 8 is the middle of that epicenter. And so we are tackling it. We are walking through it. And uh, the goal is not just the transfer of information. The The goal is transformation. Uh, We believe that the truth of God is powerful enough to transform your life. And so as we go through this and dive into some theology, we're not talking about theology for theology's sake. We're talking about the truth of God, how we can apply it to our lives so that we might be changed forever, uh, both today and for the future. Okay, so let me walk us through where we've been so far. And then uh, I've got some things. I've got got a good word for you today, y'all. I have been excited about sharing this message. And so uh, please... uh, Please show me equal excitement in, in your hearing, all right? Uh, so, yes, give me lots of feedback. That's good. That's what I like to hear. All right, let's review. Week one, we talked about how there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We live in a world who lo- that loves to condemn us based on how we look, based on our past failures, our future accomplishments. They love to condemn us, but those who are in Christ, that is, we have hidden ourselves in him. We have placed our faith in him as the one who stands perfectly in the middle, there can be no condemnation for us who are in Christ. It's a tremendous, hopeful message that Paul wants to share with us. That was week one. Last week, we talked about the flesh versus the spirit. There seems to be this thing going on in Romans 8 where Paul is talking about living according to or walking according to the flesh and walking or living according to the spirit. And what we decided and what we landed on is that to live according to the flesh is to allow the sinful self to be the general in our lives. In other words, the flesh thinks in a particular way. The way in which we think has so much influence on the way in which we act. And so the flesh thinks a particular way, is is sort of marked by a certain way of thinking. It leads to a certain way of acting. And Paul says that the fleshly life leads to death versus or in comparison to life according to the spirit, which means to allow the spirit of God to come into our lives, to be the general, the one in charge. He's a good God. He's powerful. He's trustworthy. And so the general, we feel good and can give our lives to this general because he's not an evil one watching over us. He's a good God giving us instructions, guiding us, helping us, convicting us. And so we allow the general, the Holy Spirit to be the general in our lives, which leads to a particular way of thinking, which leads to a particular way of living, which is identified by life. You good? That's the review. Okay. That's where we've been so far. It is a message of hope. It is a message of freedom in Christ. It is a message of victory. And it is a message of life. So today, I want to talk to you about the new exodus. The new exodus. Now, last week, I ended the message 
by, by sort of, and many of you probably don't remember this, by that time you were thinking about the bread at Olive Garden or the enormous ch- burritos at Chipotle, and so it slipped right by you. But last week I ended the message by saying something like this. Uh, I, I said next week, or I said, I wonder if all of this, this flesh versus the spirit, uh, message of victory, message of life, I wonder if this is sort of like the exodus in which the nation of Israel is enslaved by a power that is greater than themselves, and yet one man is raised up to give them freedom. And I said, I wonder if that is anything like this, or more appropriately, that that, that this is something like that, right? It's the that is really this principle, and it will change your life. Right, many of you are already coming to the altar and saying amen. This is that principle, okay? Let me, let me illustrate it to you. What is the this is that principle? The principle says that this is always about that. There is another layer of meaning that we can peel back, and this is pointing to the greater reality that. This is that principle. Now, many of you are still confused, so let me illustrate for you. She yells at you because you did not take out the trash, Sound familiar? Come on, guys. Don't leave me up here hanging. Okay? She yells at you because you didn't take out the trash. Is it really about the trash? Ladies, help me out. Come on. No, it's not about the trash. Did some, one of our ladies say yes? My house just stinks when the trash isn't out, okay? When she yells at you for not taking out the trash, it's not really about the trash. When, it, when she, she, it's really about this, that when you don't take out the trash, she feels that you don't respect what is important to her, which is having a clean house. Oh, yes. Yes. I love it. See, I am scoring some points with the ladies today, all right? Because I got it good, right? All right, so this is really about that. When you don't take out the trash, she feels like what she says is she doesn't just see a full trash. She says he no longer respects me. He doesn't, re- he doesn't realize that it's important to me to have a clean house. So by him not taking this out, it means that he doesn't, it, what, I, what is important to me is not important to him. And that makes me feel disrespected. This is about that. Okay, let me give you another picture or another illustration. In my office, I have a picture of Amy and I that is over 10 years old, right? I have a lot of current pictures, but I also have a picture that is over 10 years old. This is about that. And my picture here, let me get my, let me get my um, illustrations, okay? This is the picture. There's actually a couple of them that are real old. And I've actually scanned one of them so you all can see it. So go ahead and show that now. Mmm! Somebody tell me that long, straight hair looks good, huh? I also realized that just last week, I bought a coat exactly like that. Some things never change, okay? And what is that on my wrist? It's an inside-out WWJD bracelet, okay? I was cool. Here's a picture. It's over 10 years old, okay? Why in the world would I have this in my office when I have a three-year-old daughter Another daughter on the way, 10 years old, not, t- not, 10, not 10 years old, 10 years ago, not yet married. Why would this be in my office? It's not really about the picture, is it? This is about that, something else. It's about remembering where we came from. It's about remembering how we fell in love 
and still are 10 years later. Right? Mm. Mm. This is not about gross hair and light blue jackets and inside-out WWJD bracelets. This is about reminding us and reminding me where we came from. This is really about that. You guys are getting a handle on it. In my office, I also have a baton. It's kind of a goofy baton, right? But it has been in my office since the day I moved to Fort Collins to lead this church. And on it, it says, Pastor Andy Lucas installed at Fort Collins First Church. That's what we used to be called before we were Emmaus Road. By Dr. Jim Christie on September 10th, 2006. Finished the race successfully, 2 Timothy 4.7. This is not about a baton, although it is a very cool color. It's about reminding me the very beginning of my ministry. It's about reminding me about the call to pour into the lives of others and to speak the truth faithfully. This is not about a baton. It's about that. This is that principle. Are you with me now? Make sense? This is always about that. And so when we come to the new exodus, what we have to, I wanted to give you a handle on that principle because I want to talk about the this is that, right? I mean, I ended last week's message by saying this, Romans 8, the life of victory, the life of uh, with God, this, this tremendously hopeful message is maybe about that or perhaps more appropriately that the old exodus is really about this, that is the new exodus. And so I want to walk us through it and you know I'm going to preach good today because I got me a new whiteboard, huh? Come on now. You know how I love the whiteboard. And in my, the one I used to have was all crumbly and gross. And it was, had a shadow on it. And it was almost falling off the easel. Not today, baby. We're driving a Cadillac, okay? So come on now. This is going to be a great message, all right? So I want to walk us through Exodus and New Exodus, all right? Exodus and New Exodus. God is going to speak to you in powerful ways through this, I promise you. Okay, let's walk through the Exodus. The nation of Israel, with whom God has made a covenant, find themselves enslaved in Egypt. You can read all about this in the book of, guess what, Exodus, okay? So if you're not familiar with this story, that's okay. I'm not trying to put you down if you don't remember it. I want to remind us, for those who are familiar, and if this is something you're exposed to for the very first time today, I'm going to give you a little bit of a rough outline of what happens, but I encourage you to go back in your Bibles and read the book, uh, the story of the, of the Exodus in the book of Exodus. So the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, with whom God is in covenant, have been enslaved in Egypt. They are controlled, then, by a power that is greater than themselves. They are controlled by a power that they cannot overcome in their own power. That is, it is something that is oppressing them. It's overcoming them. And the power is to the Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt. They rule over them. They are slaves to this power that is evil and that they cannot overcome all by themselves. But they, And their slavery is very real. It's very physical. It's very tangible. The nation of Israel was, going, was meant to go to work and forced to go to work for the nation of Egypt. They, were go, they would go about making bricks. They would be beaten if they didn't meet their quota. They would be beaten if the guy was in a bad mood. They were just truly slaves in this nation under a power that they simply could not 
overcome. It was an evil master, and they regularly cried out to God for rescue. And so in the Exodus, the first thing that we see is that the nation of Israel is in slavery. They are in slavery. But once we read and we go along in the story, many of you know what happens next. One man is raised up. In other words, God hears their cries for rescue. One man is raised up, the man of Moses. And Moses becomes the representative of Israel. So the next one is one man, and he is Moses. Okay? There we go. Can you guys read that? Is it big enough? No. All right, I'll write a little bit bigger on the next line. This says, one man, Moses. Okay, very good. I try to make it real simple and straightforward, all right? So if you can't catch on to it, I think you can get it audibly if you can't see it, all right? So this one man, Moses, is raised up. He becomes a representative of Israel, and he stands in the gap. In other words, he, he represents God to Israel, and he says to them, this is what the Lord God says. If you read Exodus, you regularly see Moses standing in the position of representing God to the people of Israel. This is what the Lord God says. This is what he commands. This is what he decrees. It's a beautiful picture of a representative of God speaking to the people. But yet, at the same time, Moses also represents Israel to God. For example, when day, when, when Moses goes up to um, the Mount Sinai, he receives the Ten Commandments and all the law and outlines all of this. What do the people do? Do you remember? They sin by, by building a golden calf. They bring in all their gold jewelry. They melt it down. They form an idol in the, for, in, the, in the shape of a calf. Moses comes down. He realizes the great sin of the people because one of the laws is what? You should have no other gods before me. And yet, while that law is being given, they are currently making another god in the form of an idol. And so it's this tremendous sin. Moses is upset. God is upset. In fact, God is ready to call this whole thing off and destroy them and start over. But what does Moses say? He, re- he, goes up to, he goes up to God, represents Israel to God, and says, do not defeat this people. You can find it in Exodus chapter 32, verse 30. It says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but I will now go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. You may see where this is going already. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. And if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. One man is raised up to stand perfectly in the gap between Israel and God in the Exodus. Now through this representative, Israel experiences great freedom. They're set free. We read it again in this story in Exodus. They're set free from their slavery. They experience freedom. The Pharaoh has, has been defeated. He lets the people go, right? And the nation is set free. They're not slaves anymore. There's no more bricks. There's no more beatings. There's no more oppression. There's no more boss. There's no more sort of evil force overpowering them. They have been set free by this one man and his work. They have been tremendously set free. But freedom isn't always easy. And that is precisely what the people of Israel experienced. The freedom that they were given was very hard to live into. Because I I, I guess the truth is, we get used to being slaves. 
we, we learn how to work with the evil general. We get used to making bricks. We become numb to the beatings. And this is precisely what happened to Israel. In their freedom, they became frustrated. And in many ways, they longed for the return to slavery after being set free. They longed for this return to slavery. Because we like what is familiar over what is new. Right? If you try to change anything, how many of you are so frustrated you could scream with the changes to Facebook? <laughs> Don't you want to return to the slavery you once knew with the wall and everything was clear cut and now the ticker and the whatever, whatever, and you're like, I do not like this freedom, Zuckerberg. Okay? Z-man. I watched The Social Network last week. It's a phenomenal movie. You should watch it. Okay. So, we like, and it's easy to return to the slavery. We don't like change. So, in their freedom, they become a little bit disoriented. They become disobedient. And, and what do, you, do you guys remember what happens? They're set out on a journey. In other words, they're not, they, don't directly, they don't go directly to the promised land. But what they do is they begin a journey toward the promised land. Journey... To promised land. Okay? And all the while, while they're journeying, they're journeying toward the sure promise from God that they will one day reach the promised land. It's called the wilderness wandering, but each day they get one step closer to the promised land that is promised to them. They will, in fact, get there. The journey may be tough. It may feel like they're going in circles sometimes, but they will get there. What in the world does all of this have to do with the new exodus that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8? Well, I would argue that we too are enslaved. That while our slavery, slavery is less tangible, it is no less real. It may be less tangible, but it is no less real. We are slaves to sin, which leads to death. And so in the new exodus, we too are in slavery. We are in slavery to sin and death. We find ourselves controlled by a power that is greater than ourselves. We find ourselves enslaved to that which we cannot overcome on our own. And if you have ever tried to overcome the sin and the sin habit on your own in your life, then you realize that you have found yourself to be powerless. At least I have. Right? And so we too are enslaved, controlled by a power that is greater than ourselves, one that we cannot overcome our own. Sure, we may find temporary victory. We may feel at times uh, that, we're, that we uh, are, are overcoming this, but really what we realize is that 
We're answering every inclination that we have, every sinful thought, every sinful seed that is planted. We're, we're, calling, we're answering its call. We're moving right towards that. And what seems like freedom, oh, I can do whatever I want, right? This is the message of the culture, that you are free outside of Christ. You can do whatever you want. Just listen to your every inclination. But I promise you that that sin is just another form of slavery. It's a slavery to sin and death because it's what? Fleshly living, just like Paul talks about. It is the way of the flesh, it inevitably leads to death. And so what Paul talks about is this very struggle in Romans chapter 7. Now we're not in Romans chapter 7, we're in Romans 8, but Romans 8 is the answer to Romans 7. Romans 7, just a, uh, just a sampling of it, says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. You and I have been enslaved in the same way that Israel has been enslaved, but ours is less tangible but no less real. It is a slavery to sin and death. But in the midst of our slavery, we too have one man who has stood in the middle. Now, I'm not going to draw my stand in the middle in Christ picture because somebody poked fun at me for drawing it too often last week, so... I won't do that, but we too have one man. Oh, hold on. One man. Let's capitalize that. We also have one man in our slavery, a representative in Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ represents us and demonstrates to us the infinite love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would, would have eternal life and would not perish. In his death, he paid the penalty for sin. In his resurrection, he defeats the power of sin in our lives. He fights for us. And so he demonstrates to us the very love of God. He represents God to us, but he also represents us to God. That if we will hide ourselves in him, we will be declared not guilty. Not guilty before this God who requires holiness. And so we place ourselves in him and he finds us not guilty. And so we too have been set free through Christ. And this is the message of Romans 8. We have a freedom from sin and death. Right? This all should sound very familiar. I wanted to frame it though in terms of this exodus. And then we're going to get, some of you are like, this is just a review. I know, we're going to get to some new stuff. Um, I promise you. So here we are. We also have been set free from sin and death. That where we once were ruled by the evil general, the, the power of sin in our lives that led us to think like sin, led us to act like sin, we no longer are empowered by that. Some people would say that when we come to know Christ, that God just sort of turns a blind eye and says, go on with your sinful living, but because of grace, God has turned a blind eye. But in reality, this, this general, this master has been defeated and replaced with the Spirit of God in our lives. So we are no longer enslaved to sin that used to define us. Our identity used to be caught up in the deceiver's opinion. You're not lovable. You can't do it. How Shame on you. How could you do that? And yet we are no longer defined by the deceiver's opinion. We are now brought under the lordship and under the freedom of the one man, Jesus Christ. By the way, this is the work of the Spirit 
which is what Paul says. And he says, now you have a new general. Everything is brand new. Paul says to the Corinthians, you have been made new. You are a new creation. And under the new general, you no longer have to be defined by your lovability. You're just loved. You no longer have to be defined by your past failures because you're forgiven. You no longer have to be defined by your future accomplishments because he already loves you. And there's nothing that you could do to earn his favor. This is a tremendous picture of freedom. You want to talk about freedom, that is freedom. Are you with me? And so we have been set free in Christ. But so it is with us that freedom can be hard to live in. Right? I mean, can anybody identify with that? We have this great truth of God. Amen, pastor. I'm all on board with that. That's great theology on a whiteboard. But man, when I go to work on Monday, when I go there, that, when I go that one place on Wednesday, I don't feel like this is true. Because my every inclination and my desire is to go here. The freedom that I've been given in Christ that you talk about can be really hard to live in. Because we also like what is familiar. Even if it is bricks and beatings, drinks and drunkenness, porn or pervasiveness, abuse and attitude. Whatever it is, we like what's familiar. And often, even though the ultimate freedom has been made available to us, we don't always do a great job of living into that freedom or living that freedom. And so we become disobedient in our freedom. And the result is that we too are on a journey. The journey toward full redemption. The journey toward full redemption. See, in the, in the original Exodus, when the nation of Israel was journeying to the promised land, they experienced great freedom, but they also in some ways experienced slavery. They experienced and were set free, but often wanted to, to move back into slavery. I wonder how familiar that is to any of us, right? That we have been set free through this one man Christ, freedom from sin and death, no longer have to pay the penalty of death, we no longer have to die, and yet we find ourselves experiencing and seeing great redemption in our lives. We see our friend overcome addiction and we give God the praise. We see people in, in, in third world countries that have nothing to eat or drink being fed and, and quenching the thirst, and we say praise be to God for the redemption that is happening in the world. We see in our own lives that we experience victory and yet there are times when we experience the slavery to sin and death and I would argue that it is because we are on this journey. We are being made new over and over and over again and just as sure as Israel had the promise that despite their journey they would one day land in the, in the promised land So you and I live in this messy middle ground, holding on to the sure hope that one day we and this entire world will experience full redemption. 
that every place that you mess up, every place that you let God down, every place that you fail will one day be made all brand new. And yet it is not a hope that is relegated purely to the future. We can experience measures of freedom and redemption right here, right day, right or today because we have in fact been set free. The fact that we struggle and are on this journey does not, uh, does not indicate that God has not set us free through Christ. It means that we're just not very good at freedom. That's good. That's good. We're just not very good at freedom. Which leads us all of this. I want to frame all of this and then head into the next part of Romans. This is the two-for-one sermon, right? I could just be done. This, I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff right there. But I want to move on in Romans. So where are we at? Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 8, 12 through 17. Uh, because what we see is that Paul has just get, got done talking about uh, the flesh and the spirit. There's two more things that are going to come up. Two more things that are going to arise as Paul talks about here. So let's read together. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. You can follow along with me. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation... But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if we live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death what the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves. So that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you received has brought you into adoption to sonship. And by him, that is the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. Now. Just as Paul has just finished talking about the flesh versus the spirit, there's two more sort of word pictures that come up, right? It's slavery and adoption. Slavery and adoption. You did not receive the spirit so that you could return into slavery and fear, but rather you received the spirit so that he could witness with your spirit, that is yourself, and and say, I am now a child of God. If you want to know good news today, if you have accepted Christ, if you are in him, then you have been made a child of God. He has adopted you into his family. And so in the very midst of the struggle of this journey toward full redemption in which we experience redemption, but not yet in all of its fullness, Paul says this, for those who are led by the spirit of God are made the children of God. For the spirit you received did not make you slaves again. So that you can live in fear, but has set you free so that you can be adopted into sonship and be called a child of God. Are you with me? You see how this whole frame, this whole thing, Exodus and New Exodus, frames what Paul is talking about in 12 through 17. And so I want to talk about these things. Slavery and adoption. What is slavery? Slavery is being held under by a master only to do what you are told in slavery you are valuable only based on what you produce that sounds incredibly familiar to the world in which we live you are valuable only on your ability to produce something what do you do for a living and you tell people that's the first thing we want to know about people And then how often do we evaluate them based on that? 
Oh, you're unemployed. How's that treating you? Not producing anything of value, are you? And so what we do is we value people based on what they do. That sounds a lot like slavery to me. Because a slave is valuable only based on the work that they get done. Only on what they produce. When Israel was having bricks and beatings, they had to meet a quota. And if they didn't meet the quota, they were subject to greater beatings. Because they were no longer valuable. They weren't doing their, their their, their fair share, so to speak. Right? And so the world in which we live that says you're valuable based on only the, on what you produce is a form of slavery because that's what slavery says. Slavery is under master, valuable on what we produce and the job that we do, and we're seen as property. We're owned by someone else. And what Paul does is he connects the idea of slavery to fear. You, the spirit you receive is not so that you could go back into slavery and therefore back into fear. And so I tried to unpack that a little bit. Why is slavery connected to fear? And what is the root of fear? And what I came to realize is that fear, the, the seed of fear in our lives is distrust, right? If we're ever fearful, it's because we are not trusting whoever's in charge. And man, if we're in slavery and we're, we're listening to the flesh, and we're, living, we're a slave to sin and death, which is fleshly living, then who's in charge? We are. And I'm telling you what, if I'm in charge, that's reason enough to be scared. Right? And maybe you would say the same of yourself. Man, if I was just in charge of this whole thing, I would botch it up pretty good. And so slavery to ourselves, in essence, is a way of living in fear. The spirit that you receive has, not, has, has changed the generals. So that the general that's now in charge is, is trustworthy because he's good and because he's powerful. It was, if he was just powerful, then he couldn't be trusted. If he was just trustworthy but not powerful, he wouldn't be any good. anything because he doesn't have the resources to meet my need but the god that we serve the spirit that lives inside of you is both good and powerful therefore you can trust him therefore you can eliminate fear think of how often in the new testament jesus says do not be afraid right and so the spirit we've received releases us from fear and leads us into the very opposite of slavery and fear adoption which is a whole better picture, right? You have not been, uh, you, you do not now are, are the slave and valuable only on what you produce. You are now a member of the family. You are now valuable for who you are. And we are put in the position of a child of God. And our value is no longer based on our past failures or our future accomplishments. Our value is inherent as a member of the family. Some of you parents have had kids that have gone away from the Lord. And despite your best efforts to raise them upright, you have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. And yet that does not eliminate your love for them because they have inherent value as a member of the family. And the same is true That God has given you inherent value because he has adopted you. And adoption is not something that we can earn. 
And I wonder how many times in, in, in society and in culture people are trying to earn adoption from God, right? You know, man, once I get all my stuff together, I'm going to get back to church because, man, man, you don't even know what I've done. I don't, I don't even know what I've done because I don't remember, right? Hmm? Okay? And so I don't even know all the things I've done. But, you know, I can't go to God. I've got to get my stuff together so I can earn his adoption. I've got to get everything figured out. Then I'm going to get back into church. I'm going to get myself together first so I, can, so I can get back into church. I want to earn the adoption of Christ. Christ says, I don't care how messed up you are. If you are in me and you place your faith in me and I give you the spirit, I'm not giving you the spirit that will lead you back into slavery and fear. I've given you a spirit of adoption so that you are valuable just based on who you are. And so you, gotta, you don't have to get your stuff together first and then come to me. You come to me and then let's work on getting your stuff together. Okay? That's the idea. That's the power of this message that Paul is sharing. And because of the new exodus, everything has changed. The paradox of adoption is that you are already chosen. You can't earn your adoption. You're already chosen. Not because that you're so great. but because Christ has been great for you. You have already been chosen for adoption, not because you're so awesome and great, but Christ has been great for you. So we place our faith in him and everything changes so that you can be great through him. I'm not talking about some message where Christians got to go around saying, I'm a nobody, I stink, I'm no good. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about raising your your head high, putting your shoulders back and saying, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That I I I can accomplish great things for him, but only through him. And so I don't want a bunch of Christians just going around, unable to, you know, saying, well, I'm, I'm just a horrible, terrible sinner. Not anymore. Because you've been adopted into his family. Is this helpful? I hope that it's not only helpful, but hopeful. That's what I hope. Well, this isn't the story either. This isn't the end of the story. There's another step. As the nation of Israel journeyed toward the promised land, guess what? They made it. They got there. And so you and I, as we journey toward full redemption, will have full redemption realized. Full redemption realized in Christ. What is Paul in this passage with? If you are the children of God, then you are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Israel, after their journey in the wilderness, did, in fact, make it to the promised land. And that is a promise that you and I can hold strongly to without a doubt. That although we sort of live in this messy middle ground of journeying toward redemption, we will one day see redemption fully realized. And that truth and that hope that is sure ought to have everything with how, to do with how we live today. We ought to live toward that future in Christ and through him. And I think that's part of what it means to be co-heirs with Christ. Christ through his resurrection 
is the first fruit of the new world. You understand that? That the resurrection is not just this sort of like neat little thing, cool trick. The resurrection is the inauguration of a brand new world. And it is a world where all of us are heading for those who are in Christ. And it is a world that we can experience in part right now. And so those who are in Christ have the sure hope of full redemption that we might inherit all that God has for us. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ who has already inaugurated, shown us, given us a peek into this brand new world. The New Testament often refers to it as the kingdom of God. And so if, as indeed is the case, we share in this suffering in order that we also might share in his glory. What an interesting way to end all that we've talked about. Could there be some great connection between suffering that we now experience and the glory that we will experience later? I think a lot of times in our life, as we suffer, as we face challenges and mountains, we ask questions like, could a garden ever come up from the dust and the ground of my life? We ask questions like, could my life ever really change? And could life be found out of this chaos? The thought that I want to leave you with in preparation for next week is that God has a habit of making beautiful things out of dust and out of chaos. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But this week, I believe that God has spoken to you. And so we're going to spend some time responding and reflecting on how God has spoken to you. I know there's not a lot of practical stuff in this message. A lot of it is just me putting the truth out there and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak in your lives about how you can appropriate that truth in your life.